Being a school principal might just be the most interrupted job on the planet. Every celebration, classroom party, and great lesson in the school, you're invited. Every difficult conversation with a parent whose child is not behaving or with a teacher who's chronically late to work, you're there too. And every emergency in the building with 500, 1,000, 2,000 people in it, it's your emergency. And on top of all that, you are responsible every day for the safety of the world's most precious asset, our children. How do they do it? We're here to find out, here in the principal's office. Hi, I'm Jeff Gorski, lifelong educator and learner and consultant at Leaders Building Leaders, and this is the Principal's Office Podcast. I have the opportunity, alongside my business partner, Tom Miller, to visit schools around North Carolina every day. It's the best job in the world, and every time I meet a new school leader, I ask a million questions and walk away with my cup filled by the knowledge and stories that they've shared with me. This podcast was born because everyone should be able to hear what these school leaders have to say. That if we are going to do everything in our power as educators to help every child in our schools, in our state, in our country, then we can get a jump start by listening to what is happening, has happened, and will happen soon in education from the people who know it best, the principals of our schools. Today, I am at Wake Forest Charter Academy in Wake Forest, North Carolina. Their school is only in its second year of operation and already serve almost 600 students in kindergarten through the sixth grade. Zach Perfit, the founding principal, has welcomed us into his office to talk about his leadership style and answer some questions. How did he build his team? How did he fill a school in its first year? How does he keep himself from feeling overwhelmed by the task that's in front of him? Well, he's going to answer these questions and more. So thank you for making this podcast a part of your day and enjoy our conversation with Zach Perfit. So... Thank you for taking the time to, to be with us today. I've got a question for you. I've been dying to ask you about your school. Can I give you some feedback? Can I give you some feedback? I'm always ready for feedback. What, what, is that, what does that phrase mean to this school? Because I hear it a lot. Well, you know, when we hire teachers, we hire teachers that have a growth mindset. And, and to us, what that means is that they're willing to grow with us. And in order to be willing to grow, you have to be able to take both affirming and adjusting feedback. Um, you know, and so when, when we talk to teachers and we ask them if they're willing to, you know, take some feedback, um, and in our case, they are because we are intentional in our hiring process to, to look for folks who are willing to grow with us. How do you find out if someone is, is that growth mindset sure. that they're going to be willing to, to grow in this school and accept feedback? Cause you have a really intensive model of feedback, of observation of feedback with your, with your deans. So in our interview process, we really try to get down and we dig deep into whose responsibility is it, um, you know, if a student is successful or not. And we're, when, we're, when we're asking questions like that, um, we're looking for answers such as, you know, it's, it's my full responsibility in my classroom to make sure each student grows, you know. And then the next phrase we're looking for is, if they don't grow, then I will do this, this, and this to ensure they do grow. Um, and in that response, we look for them being open to feedback. We look for them, um, you know, with the idea of maybe going to their peers to learn from their peers. Um, so there's, 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 there's a, lot of, a lot of different things that we look for, but the biggest thing is they're taking ownership of who's growing in their class and who is not. So when you hire a teacher, how quickly can you tell... Uh, 
once they've started, once you see them in front of a class, how quickly can you tell that they're going to embrace that kind of mindset at this school? Well, you know, when you know, in our in our building, we get right at the beginning of the year, we get in and we try to start observing teachers and classrooms. We try to get in every week to do observations and then meet with the teachers after that observation every week. And, you know, at the beginning of the year, you know, we, we give a lot of affirming feedback and about the fourth or fifth week, that's when we sort of dive in and say, hey, you know, this, this went really well, but can we take a look at this and see if there's any adjustments that we can make? And, you know, if they're willing, then we're going to grow with them. But if we, you know, if we hear something else, then that's when we're going to grow into coaching them to have an open mindset rather than coaching them on a specific instructional strategy. So some teachers, we take a different approach at the beginning of the year to really open their mind to the type of feedback that we want to give. So we don't dive right into academic feedback if they're not ready for it. That makes sense. So you've got... A teacher, let's say that you are early in the year, you identify them as someone who is on board with growth. How does, how do you and how does this school approach f- growing that person? We talk a lot in our business about um, growing leaders and things like that. But when you identify that person, how are you lifting them up? Well, at the beginning of the year, we lay out a framework of what's important to us as a building. What do we believe in? What is our philosophy? And when we look at, at growth, we look at, you know, if, if there's a teacher who needs, um, you know, help in, in one of those important factors that we lay out at the beginning of the year, that's how we frame what we're going to do with them. So, for instance, you know, one factor in our building that we really focus on starting from the get-go is building culture. Right. And so then we break down what does building culture look like in our building. Um, and part, in that, part of that is greeting students, for instance. We'll give an example. You know, we, we ask teachers to greet students at the door every morning. And if we see, you know, all right, Mrs. Smith is struggling. You know, we'll use Mrs. Smith as an example, not a real person. Mrs. Smith is struggling. Then that's how that's where we're going to with, with the greeting. That's where we're going to guide our feedback. But it's all intentional based on what we prioritize as important to us as a building to get to our end result. So it's all it's all laid out right at the beginning of the year. The teachers the teachers know what you know what our core values are, and they know the expectations. So everything's right out in front, and uh, we just follow our we just follow what we've laid out from the beginning of the year in terms of what we believe in, and that's how that's really how we guide our coaching model. Awesome. Well, I have I have some more questions I want to get back to about your core values later on. But for right now, let's take a step back. And will you will you tell us kind of the the story of how you arrived into a position of leadership, kind of starting with your experience as a teacher? Absolutely. So I'm a Spartan, so I graduated from Michigan State. And uh, you know, as I was as I was working through my teaching program at Michigan State. Um, leadership, you know, I, I had some great professors, and leadership was something that, you know, was always in the back of my mind. You know, we, we went in and did our pre-internship field experience, and I had the opportunity to really meet some successful leaders, um, n- not only in the world of education, but in the, outside of the world of education. And so... I became a teacher, obviously, and, you know, while I was teaching, I took on, you know, the extra responsibilities that would get me experience in the, in the leadership capacity, being a part of the school improvement team, being a part of the professional development team, um, willing to go and be a part of the, the mentor program. So um, with that, you know, I was always communicating with my leader, my principal, that, 
you know, hey, I think I think I might want to step into an assistant principal position someday. And, you know, when the opportunity came up, I had been developing some of my skills while in the teaching position. So when that opportunity came up, um, it was a good fit. And so I took on that position. And still, while I was in assistant principal position, I still had that mindset of what can I do to improve my skill. But the difference was I was... I was um, soliciting feedback from the people I was managing. So the the teachers that I you know had that I was working with, I was constantly asking them, you know, what can I do to grow? I, I always am giving you ideas of what you can do to grow, but but challenge me, ask me questions, and um, and help me grow with you because we're a team. And so you know, over over those years, I think it was important that I was growing with the people that I was coaching. Because quite often we spend so much time on growing others around us, we forget to grow ourselves. And so I was just, I was intentional about growing myself, you know, during my assistant principal time. And then I obviously took over as a principal of another school in Michigan. And, you know, that was a big learning curve because, you know, now I wasn't only growing teachers, but I was growing other leaders, right? And I, that really forced me to take a, take a step back and really outline and define what I valued as a leader and what I wanted, um, you know, the people that worked for me to um, really display as, as being a, a role model in our school. And then, then I was asked to open a new school down here in North Carolina, and I think that even with opening a new school and having the experience as a, as a former principal of another school, there's always opportunities to grow. And so I think as I reflect back over, you know, over my career, I'm, I'm always trying to be open-minded and grow with those who, who want to be grown. So, Zach, in that process, did you have anyone that you consider to be a mentor or someone that you, that you wanted to emulate in the process of, of growing your leadership? Well... I, I did have someone that, you know, I could turn to with, with leadership questions outside of education. Um, you know, that person really helped me. It was, that was more of developing a work ethic. Um, in terms of building my leadership skills, it, it really came down to, you know, learning by doing and, and learning by taking advantage of things like what we're doing now, listening to podcasts, reading, reading books, um, not just in education, but in the business world. You know, a lot of what we do as, edu- as, as leaders in education um, relates to what, you know, folks do out in the business world. And, you know, a lot of those philosophies I carry over to running a building, but the biggest factor with me is, is learning from those around me and, um, you know, sticking to my core values about what I leave, believe about leadership to continue to develop myself. Awesome. So what are, what are some of those authors or books or resources that you've used that have made that crossover from business to the education world? Well, obviously, you know, five dysfunctions of a team, you know, that's, I, that's how I've built, you know, Every team that I've worked with is, you know, is based on that book. So Patrick Lencioni really has some great ideas, and uh, you know, I've probably read all of his books. I, you know, I was on an airplane once, and I was reading his uh, his book called Getting Naked, and I looked over and this lady staring at me, <laughs> and I said, "Don't worry, ma'am, it's a business book." And uh, you know, but all relating, you know, 
and I like his books because they're fables and you know they can relate to me as a person and so a lot of a lot of what he's written I, I've taken and you know brought into my leadership style can you give an example of one thing from his book that you use and how you use it you bet so from the, let's say the the five dysfunctions of a team uh, lack of trust you know is, is a deal breaker on any team and in any school um, so here at our school we we built what's called a social contract and basically our social contract is built to help people trust each other you know we ask each other um, how do you want to be treated by me how do you think I want to be treated by you how do we treat each other when there's a conflict and every time we get together we evaluate ourselves on how we're how we're performing up against this social contract um, and so when when that's happening we're, we're creating um, an atmosphere where people are willing to be vulnerable and this goes this comes full circle back to the growth mindset because when people are vulnerable and when they trust they're open to feedback and they're willing to grow so it, it really all works you know sort of like a interconnected web in terms of what we're doing to get to the end result um, that we built you know we build at the beginning of every year yeah lack of trust and then clarity of communication is one of the other five dysfunctions of a team right mm -hmm. so in what ways you talk about building trust with your staff also thinking about your family so as a charter school you know we have we have to convince people to go way out of their way to come to our schools so what are some ways that you you extend that mindset out to your your, your school families well, I have difficult conversations when I need to have difficult conversations, quite honestly. And I think that, you know, parents respect the fact that I'm always going to be honest with them. And because I, I communicate with them that their student success is my number one priority. Like, that's the number one thing that comes first. And, you know, I'm, I'm when, you know, when we have functions, you know, carpool, drop-off, everywhere the parents are, I am. Because I want to be made available to them. Um, I want them to share great things with me, and I also want to share them. Want them to share, you know, a concern they may have. Because if we're gonna, if we're gonna preach that we have a growth mindset, we want our parents to be a part of that 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 process. So, when I communicate with parents, I'm very open and honest, and I'm relational. You know, I I. I you know, so often principals are looked at as, you know, being in an office behind a closed door or up on a pedestal. And, you know, the message that I send is we're partners. You know, I'm not in an office behind a closed door when I don't have to be. And, um, you know, you and I put our pants on the same way. You know, I'm not up on a pedestal. I'm, I'm here to serve you. What can I do for you? And, um, you know, in, in, our, in our situation here and opening a brand new school, that was, at least in our area, that was... Uh, probably the number one concern that parents had was, are you going to be available to us? <laughs> and so that's, that was, you know, in hearing that concern as we were opening our doors, um, that's one thing we really focused on. So in tying these three groups of people together, your administrative team, your teachers, the families that you serve, how, how Zach, do you measure or arrive at the conclusion that your school is successful? How, what would you say is a successful school? Well, obviously, the number one factor in measuring whether or not a school is successful is by looking at, you know, student results. And, you know, we do that with parents on a regular basis. We do it with our teachers every week. We do it with the kids on a regular basis. We communicate um, the results with our parents on a regular basis. We send, you know, updated progress reports with student 
you know, new grades and, and outcomes on an every two week basis. We communicate with a newsletter, you know, from me once a month. Teachers communicate twice a month. Specials teachers would communicate once a month. And the way we measure whether or not that is successful is by surveying our parents and asking them. You know, we, we really, in, in our survey, we really try to dig down to what our core values are and, and ask for feedback. And we do that twice a year, both at the beginning of the year and then at the end of the year. And we take the parent feedback and we share it with our staff. And we really dissect that and come up with areas that we're really doing well in because you know if you're if you always focus on areas where you're struggling you're never going to develop the areas that you do really well at and you need to continue to develop those areas so we, we look at both ends of the spectrum what are we doing well and what do we need to um to grow in and as a team as our school improvement team and our, our all of our teacher teams we sit down and we look at look at those results and make plans of action so would you give the same answer to the question if i asked how would how do you feel successful as a professional how i do how successful yeah. i am well i evaluate my success based on the success of our teachers you know if we have a teacher that's not performing or is, is struggling I, I look at myself and say what can i do to support that teacher but on the other end of that spectrum that teacher has to be willing to want to grow with me and you know we can we can typically identify whether or not a teacher wants to go or grow with us, you know, four or five weeks into the school year, right? And we can identify those folks, and once we do identify them, we're not waiting until they're struggling. We're, we're walking right alongside them for the entire journey. Um, so typically, you know, when, when a teacher's not growing, it's, it's not something that's, you know, just popping up right in front of us all of a sudden. So when I look at, at my personal growth, it's making sure a teachers are successful and ultimately when teachers are successful kids are successful and 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 they get the results that they need to continue to grow you know leadership you know has to be a constant self-reflection and you know if in your reflection you realize wow you know I've, I've sort of been stagnant for a little while you know that's when you start to look at ways that you can improve not just yourself but the community because if the community is growing and improving then you are too sure so, so you and your school opened up at full capacity in your very first year. Correct. Um, we just did some research on the, uh, for um, for our business where we found out that the average charter school over the past four years has opened up at seventy nine percent capacity. What do you think was the secret, or what did you do right that contributed to you guys opening full? We, we got out in front of parents early. You know, once, once we decided, once we had the go-ahead from the state, you know, and we had our piece of property picked, up, picked out, and, you know, even before construction, we were holding parent meetings. And we broke our parent meetings down by the values that we had. So we, our first parent meeting was based, you know, focused solely on academic excellence. The next one was focused on um, student responsibility. We had one just about you know our moral focus values and how we teach moral focus virtues throughout the course of the year. And then the last one was a parental partnership. So the, over the course of these four different meetings, we just helped the parents understand where we were in terms of you know our fundamentals and our values, and we encouraged them to come on board with us. But I think you know a, a school's attrition is even more important than opening full because once you, you do get open, 
you know, you want to keep the students that you have because the longer you keep a student, the more successful and the more growth that they're going to have over time because we get used to their style, they get used to our style, and we just mm -hmm. see more penetrable growth. So we have to look at attrition. So in order to keep students, you have to follow through and deliver on the messages that you're communicating. So, you know, if we would have had these parent meetings before we opened and then not followed through on, you know, what we said we were going to deliver, we'd be in a whole different situation than we are right now. Yeah. So we, we just had to be very intentional and, you know, we didn't, we didn't overpromise. We promised exactly what we were going to do and we followed through probably a little bit more and, you know, and that's how we're keeping students. Under promise and over deliver. That's the model we try and work. <laughs> what uh, do you measure, Zach? The attrition mid year or the attrition day one to day one, or how do you look at that data? We so we we look at a couple different factors. We look at erosion and attrition. So for attrition, we we measure from day one moving on, so day by day throughout the course of the year. Um, last year, you know, you know, students leave for various factors. Sometimes they move out of state. Sometimes a sibling didn't get in, and you know, transportation becomes a problem. But last year, you know, we lost less than twenty students. So during the year. During the year. Wow. Yeah, and so you know, fortunately, we're you know in a fortunate position where we have you know a large waiting list, so we backfilled those. So far this year, you know, we're over halfway through the year, and I think we've lost less than five. So we, we measure that and, and we're proactive in the attrition and because we like, and, and the biggest way to be proactive with attrition is communicating with the parents and, you know, getting them in front of us. So Zach, let me ask you this. Uh, knowing that you started with the support of a, of a, um, of a management organization, mm -hmm. how do you think that helped you? And what could you tell to, to people who are trying to do it without the support of a management system um, as advice to try and fill their school like you guys did? Well, you know, our management company, NHA, they provide an overwhelming amount of support. They provide, you know, support with marketing. They provide um, support with hiring. Um, with that support, we can, you know, we can leverage it sort of at our discretion, right? Uh, they provide support with budgeting. And in, in our case, opening a brand new school, we needed that support. So there's two, two sort of two different scenarios with, you know, whether you have, you know, an existing school or opening a new school. O opening a brand new school, you, you, it was, there was an abundant amount of work that needed, like there was so much work that needed to be done. And, you know, just having the experience of a management company behind us that's opened to 80, and this has done this 81 different times, um, it sort of provided some organization around the whole process. Um, do I think it can be done without a management company? Yes. Um, but like I said, there needs to be, you know, a great deal of organization right from the get-go from your board. Your board has to have a clear mission and vision. Um, and your board needs to know, like, you know, this is, we're, we're operation, we're not management, right? So there's a clear divide there. We're in a situation here at Wake Forest where we have a, a, an incredibly supportive board. Um, they hold us accountable. There's a high degree of accountability, but they're very supportive. Um, so in all of those roles, we have to be incredibly organized, and we have to make sure that, you know, we're, all of the decisions that we're making, whether it's marketing, whether it's budget decisions, hiring decisions, any type of decisions, have to reflect our values and what our mission is here.
Yeah, that relationship that you have with the board, from from what we see in charter schools, is so vital because there is a balance between operations and governance that is very easily upset. Mm-hmm. Um, and if you guys, I think that's great advice to to have that established early on, so you know who's who has what job, and right. people know what their responsibility is. Right. You know, you know, in our situation. It's, you know, the best way to sum it up is as our board is supportive, you know, know, when they have questions, they ask questions, but they trust that we're going to act in a way that's, um, you know, that's going to, that's going to be a positive impact on the building. So like there, there we go back to our trust, right? When you're building trust in an organization, it, it starts right down with, with your board moving right on, right on through the whole organization. So I've got a couple of questions for you I want to ask that are not really connected to each other. So one question I have for you. As a leader, you are at the top of your organization. Who do you trust to tell you when you're wrong? Oh, that's a great question. Um, You know, my deans, my assistant principals, they have no problem with uh, giving me feedback. (laughs) You know, they always ask whether or not I'm in the right place for feedback, you know, at that moment. But... You know, I, I encourage them because that's the only way I'm going to grow. Um, the front office staff, without a doubt, uh, are willing to give me feedback and, to, you know, they're willing to be very candid with me. But also teachers. You know, on a regular basis, I'll go out and I'll ask the teachers, hey, you know, you know about a, maybe a message that I've delivered or an expectation that I've placed, and I'll ask for feedback on it. And that just tells them, hey, you know, he's willing to take feedback. He's willing to grow with us. And there's been times where... Yeah, there was a time this year where you know we, we delivered a, a pretty hefty expectation, and um, I got some feedback about that, and realized, all right, well maybe this you know this could have been approached a little bit different way, and so we we you know took a different road, and we we got to the end result, but it was through the feedback of teachers. Could you are you would you share what that expectation was? Yeah, absolutely. So we were talking about you know this is at the beginning of the year, setting our building wide goals. And, you know, we, we want to assure that you know, students are achieving mastery when, you know, they're learning objectives. And, you know, so I, you know, I, I engaged a group of teachers um, to sit down and, and talk about what goals we should place in terms of mastery of, of student objectives. And, you know, with that group, we came up with a great plan. Um, but when we delivered that plan, it wasn't as well received as what we thought. And, um, you know, we had a lot of great ideas about, you know, how to track the standards, you know, standards mastery, right? How do we track that? What do we do? How do we report that back to us? And, um, you know, I think at the time that it was delivered, it was probably poor timing. You know, there's a lot of other things happening at that time. So that was a piece of feedback that we got. Um, we got some feedback on, you know, how we can, how we can track this and maintain growth and, you know, still keep up with the daily, daily activities of a teacher, like grading and, um, communicating with parents, creating lesson plans. So what we did is we took a step back and said, all right, we st- our, our end goal is still to achieve mastery. What can we do to get there? And so what we decided to do is we decided to give the teachers an extra hour and a half a month of planning um, so that the, in, those, in those extra planning meetings, they could begin to look at data and make a plan in their unit plans or their lesson plans to reteach and teach based on the outcomes of, of assessments. So we had to put some extra supports in place in order to to deliver our message and get the results that we needed. Excellent. So you you accept feedback from all from all directions. Absolutely. That well, that seems to be a, a theme of 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 this school. 
is that, you know, just like we started off talking about the very first thing, that feedback goes in every direction and is part of the culture that, that you've created here. Well, one, one piece that I do ask the teachers, you know, if, if you have some feedback for us, it's great. I'll, I'll absolutely listen to it. Um, you know, if it's feedback about something, you know, an expectation that we've placed and, you know, maybe you, you know, maybe you don't agree with it. I always ask teachers to come with an alternate idea or another plan because a meeting will be more productive if you can walk away with an action, mm-hmm. right? A meeting is not productive when someone comes in or if I were to go into a meeting and say, this isn't going to work, here's why, why, and why. You know, my expectation of folks that I and we just had one today, and, and the first thing I asked, you know, when the meeting came up, it wasn't a complaint or anything like that. It was just a, it was more of a meeting of, oh my goodness, how am I going to get all of this done? with with this expectation and so at the beginning of the meeting one of my first questions was so did you come prepared with some other ideas or another plan of action that that we could possibly look at and take and absolutely I was excited that they did (laughs) so I ask I ask folks come in with another idea or a plan so that we still get to what we want um, but maybe we'll take a different road to a different way to get there right I got some advice once where someone told me you should end every meeting by saying who I answer this question who We'll do what, when, right. and how will, we fe- how will we follow up. And that turns meetings from opportunities to complain to opportunities to make changes. Right. And, and that's, that's awesome advice. And that's, that's, what, that's basically exactly what we do, but we just do it a little bit more relationally. We don't, you know, we don't, we're probably not as specific as we should be in terms of, of, of that end result, but we make it relational by, you know, figuring all of that out together. Yeah. How would you, as a teacher, feel about you as a principal? I'd probably hate me. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> um, you know, I, the first thing that came to my mind is I think, gosh, if I go back into teaching... That'd be, you know, I feel like I'd be an awesome teacher, but at the same time, I would probably not do as well as what our teachers are doing. Um, because sometimes as a principal, we get caught up so much in policy and expectation that every now and then we, we have to look on the other side and say, could I do this if I were in their shoes? And so I, I, I try to do that when I get in for observations. Um, I try to help the teacher out as much as I can because I, in education today, the stakes are so much higher. Um, but... You know, looking back at when I was a teacher, you know, my leaders weren't accessible, right? And that's part of the reason I wanted to, be, you know, become a leader, go into leadership, is because there were some deficits that I saw that I thought maybe I could have an impact on. Can you think of a, a moment or a story that, that you learned from a mistake of one of your leaders, something that oh, yeah. you hold as one of your core values right now, something like that? <laughs> Well, it depends on who's listening to the podcast. (laughs) (laughs) Um, When, so I think it was my first year of teaching, I had a student that was removed from my room um, and placed into another teacher's classroom. And, and and I think it was, I think it was, you know, as a first year teacher, I took it personal um, because, you know, that was my student. I'm responsible for this student. And, you know, there was sort of a, a personality conflict, you know, when you're a first year teacher, it's quite often, you know, the mentality, I'm the boss, you're the student, you do what I say. And I learned quickly that that is not the role that a teacher needs to take. The teacher's role is to, you know, build a relationship and earn the, and the trust and the respect of a student. Um, unfortunately for me, it took a student being moved out of my own classroom for me to really step back and think, 
oh my gosh, I'm a terrible teacher, and then realized, <laughs> no, I'm not a terrible teacher, but I had probably a terrible attitude about the situation. And then, you know, I had a conversation with the teacher that took that student, who was, you know, was, you know a great friend still today. And she quickly helped me realize that, you know, my approach in the whole situation was not ideal, obviously. My level of communication with parents and anybody else was probably not real ideal because I was in, you know, on my own little island, it seemed like, my first year as a teacher. So I learned a lot from that situation. And, you know, I, before I even consider changes like that in a building today, I always make sure to try and coach, coach the, the situation until it's you know, going to work with, without the movement. Yeah. After years as a principal and years as a teacher, um, what does that, what does that mean to you that, that, you know, as you moved away from the classroom and you have less direct day-to-day interaction with those kids, Mm -hmm. that now you affect so many kids at once, your actions and your decisions have an impact and have over the years have an impact on, you know, thousands maybe of families. Yeah. You know, it's when you, when you move further and further away from the classroom, it's sort of a reality check. So you have to be very intentional about still being a part of your school community. You know, we get into classrooms, teach lessons. It gives opportunity to give the teachers a break, too, every now and then. You know, they're always grateful for when I or when I come in the classroom and say, hey, you know, can I teach your math lesson today? Or can I take a small group of kids and, and work with them? So I, along with, you know, all of our deans here, we, we try to get out there and do that. Um, because, you know, we're always motivated by student success, but when we have a personal investment in the lives of each one of those kids, it, it, it makes it that much more motivating. And um, the, the parents appreciate the fact that we're personally invested in, you know, each student. I get, I get lots of comments about, how do you know that? How do you know all these kids' names? Well, it's because I stand at the back door just about every morning and shake every kid's hand and greet every kid that comes into the building. Um, I, you know, I go out and I, you, you do things to get involved. So as it gets harder every year to be you know, that, that much further away from the classroom, so you have to work that much harder to invite yourself into the situation where you're going to stay a part of the classroom. I like that. You have to invite yourself mm-hmm. to be a part of that because you can get stuck if, if you're not careful. Yeah. You can get stuck in your office for a day or a week at a time and, and, and really remove yourself from the interaction with the kids. And the staff can tell like, <laughs> on, a, on a daily basis. You know, if I'm walking down the hallway and I'm in a mission, on a mission, they know that, oh man, he's been stuck in his office all day or he's been at a, you know, two or three different meetings back to back today because that's not what recharges me. It's, it's stuff that I do and I, you know, I make intentional decisions and all of those things that I do, but what recharges me is, you know, getting out of this office and being a part of the school. And it's sort of a dual purpose, not just to, you know, recharge my batteries, but to get ideas. You know, what's, what's going well, what's not going well, because if you don't go out and, and look for ways to continually improve, then you're going to get, you're going to become stagnant and you're becoming, you're going to get in yourself into a situation of, it's hard to make change because when you, when you, the longer you're stagnant, the harder it is to, to change. So it's, it's, it serves a dual purpose just to, to recharge me and, you know, maybe be a little bit more progressive in what we're doing. You have an unbelievable volume of work and responsibility as a school principal. What do you do to bring that to a level that is manageable? 
how do I make things more manageable? You know, I, I trust. I trust that um, other people, you know, can can execute and, and carry out things that, you know, maybe I don't have a chance to do. And so, you know, in, a, in our model, we have three deans that, that really step up to the plate and, you know, they take on, you know, some of the things that I need them to take on, but I trust they're going to do it adequately. Well, not adequately. <laughs> I've gotten feedback on that word. I'm trying not to use that word anymore. <laughs> I trust that they, you know, they're going to get the job done and they're going to do it well and they're going to do it. They're going to do it the right way the first time. Um, so I think another term for that is delegation. Yes. <laughs> right. Yeah, we have to be able to delegate, but you know, in order to delegate, you have to have a clear vision for what you want to happen. And if you don't have a clear vision, then you can delegate all day long, and and nothing will be connected and nothing will be. Um, you know, in, in some people's eyes, it won't be done, you know, the way they want it to be done. So you have to be clear and you have to have a vision about, about what you want to do if you're going to delegate. We all sacrifice a little bit, you know, to get the success that, that we need with our students, but that's why we're public educators, right? Because we're willing to give up a little bit and devote a little bit of ourselves to making sure everyone else is successful. Yeah, a lot of us, it's because we just can't picture ourselves doing anything else than well, being I here for families every day. I <laughs> beach somewhere someday, but not quite yet. So what, Zach, if you had, if you had someone who would call themselves burnt out on school leadership, mm-hmm. I mean, you said a couple of things in there as far as prioritizing and delegating. I mean, what, could, what would you say to somebody who's right now with this hard stretch of the year where there's no, you know, Christmas break's over, spring break is still a long ways off at this kind of burnout stage, what would you say to someone who feels that way? Well, well, organize the rest of your year. Because if you feel burnt out, that's because you don't know what to do next and you feel stuck, right? To me, being burnt out is you're stuck and you don't know where to go. So organize the rest of your year so you can plan it out and you see that, all right, this you know, June's coming quick. Here's what I need to do between now and June. And I know what to do today. I, I know what to do this week. And I know what to do this month. And... Yeah, I recommend for a lot of people to put that like up on my whiteboard when I start to feel burnt out and I can't move and I can't do anything else I, I say alright if I have to do something this is what I've got to do now and this is what I need to do then and you know once you get your mind off oh my gosh I can't do anymore once you get your mind off of that then you're going to start moving forward again um, you know but that feeling of being burned out it's real you know especially once you get back into school from the holidays you know we teach the moral focus virtues here and we teach perseverance in the month of January for students because it's not just admin and teacher students, but, you know, they get, sure. get burnt out too. So we teach them strategies on how to keep moving. Um, but organize, organize your time from now until the rest of the year and that burnt out feeling will, will, will go away. Awesome. That's awesome stuff. Uh, so what is one thing in education that you once believed to be true that you've changed your mind about in the last year? Wow, that's another powerful question, Jeff. And I appreciate you asking that question. <laughs> we can come back to it if you want. No, that's 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 a great question. I would say that um, let me just you know, my philosophy on homework has evolved a little bit. You know, I, I used to be um, I'd be I, I really used to believe that um, you know, homework should be every subject, every night, five days a week. Um, you know, a student's responsibility 
to get that done. You know, I'm a parent now, and I would, you know, I used to think it was, you know, my responsibility to work out with a student and get that done, and I and I still do feel like it's my responsibility to work with my students. But on, you know, on the opposite side of that, I've begun to realize a little bit more that, you know, we have we have kids, you know, away from their families seven, eight hours a day, sometimes nine if they're after school sports. And there's a lot of value in in building relationships with your kids at home between, you know, parents and kids because, you know, when they can begin to build that relationship at home, it carries over to school. Um, so, you know, with homework, there are, we still do give homework. It's more, it's practice. Um, but we don't, we don't grade the, the homework as part of a, a grade in the grade book. Um, we give a, a moral focus grade of whether or not they completed it by the end of the week because that, that means they're showing us you know, that they can take responsibility for their homework um, and that they're willing to practice outside of school. Um, the teachers still look it over and, and conference with the students, uh, you know, whether or not it's accurate. Um, but we, we turn it into more of a life lesson of taking responsibility and, and building a worth that work ethic than, you know, keep, you know, driving more and more content at home. So it's, that's just, you know, our, our views on that have shifted a little bit. So my rule of thumb is, you know, if someone's spending more than 45 minutes on their homework, just stop because it's supposed to be practice. You shouldn't be some, learning something for the first mm -hmm. time at home, right? So, and, and our teachers understand that. And, you know, we have some contests out in the building right now where, you know, a student might get a week off homework, um, you know, for doing X, Y, and Z. So, you know, we, we want to teach responsibility and work ethic, and, and we want to do that in a way that's going to be beneficial to a family environment. That's huge. Our last question. Thank you for your time. Uh, let's end with, with this question, Zach. If you could go back to your first year as a principal, what advice would you give yourself? Things that you know now that you wish you would have known then. Trust. You know, be, be willing to, um, you know, see the strengths in other people so that you can work right along the side with them and, and trust them. Um, prioritize. You can't do everything at once on the same day or you're going to be at work until midnight, <laughs> right? I've, I've had that realization. You know, I can go in at 7 and be here at midnight and still have stuff to do. So prioritize what needs to come first. Um, and I would say the last thing, you know, most, most recently, uh, you know, I'm, I'm learning more and more is um, to take the time to listen to, to everyone, your, your teachers, your students, your, your parents, um, because I, I truly do care about the success of each kid, each student. And, um, you know, in, in order to, to help them succeed, I have to, I have to be able to listen and take feedback and, and grow right along with them. Well, Zach, thank you for your time and for sharing your school with us. Really appreciate it. You bet.